Hello there, welcome to the Boiling Steam Podcast. I am Mark Doherty, and today we have a conversation with James Ramey, the president of Code Weavers. So first we'll take a look at how Proton has advanced over the past couple of months with the jump in Proton 5.13, and we ask James what the progress is on Easy Anti-Cheat for Linux, and how that's coming along. We also take a look at port jump and exec mode. What exactly are those? We'll have answers to those in this podcast as well. And just a friendly reminder that we are available on Patreon at patreon.com slash boiling underscore steam underscore Linux. And we are also available on LibraPay at liberapay.com slash boiling steam. So James, thank you very much for joining today. Uh, we really appreciate the time that you have uh, for us, and I uh, wanted to first uh, congratulate you for the the Proton uh, 5.13 release uh, a couple of uh, I think weeks ago. Uh, I think we are all uh, very impressed with uh, all the work that came to this release and uh, and how much improvement it brought to the whole um, I think uh, Proton uh, stack. Uh, one first question I wanted to ask you is, um, was there a particular reason why uh, there was such a gap between the, the 5.9 and, and uh, the 5.13? Uh, did you expect that it would take so long? Uh, and uh, was there any particular reason to, uh, you know, to, to pack everything into a big release this time around? Well, it, I, I asked our, our senior developer on the project, Mr. Andrew Eichem, um that question. And uh, he had gotten back to me late uh, early this morning, um, that you know, the reality is, is that the upgrade from 5.0 to 5.13 was was eight months, which wasn't that much longer than the upgrade from 4.11 to 5.0, which was seven months. Um, and part of the reason that there's a longer gap between some of the, the updates is that a lot of the easier work has already been done. So when we put in um, chunks of work like we did for this last release, most of that work is, is pretty significant in that it takes a lot of time and resources in order to, to get those patches completed, tested, and verified. So it may be in the future that the releases are gonna follow kind of that pattern, um, but it's, it's, it's driven by the work itself. So um, it, it's not a set schedule where, you know, I'm, July 23rd, for example, we're going to release. It's when we have enough work in a release that validates, you know, it, it being pushed out. Uh, and, and that's really, you know, kind of dictated by the number of games and the types of games and the improvement for games that, that are able to go into that release. So, um, you know, it, it's grown a little bit in terms of the release cycle from six months to four months, seven months to eight months. Um, will that continue? We, we don't know. But, but a lot of the easy stuff has already been done. So going forward, it's, it's, it's a lot of really hard work and that involves a lot of the graphic stuff, that involves a lot of the security key stuff, that involves a lot of uh, uh, big projects that we're trying to include in Proton. Nice. So I'm guessing that Code Weavers has nothing to do with the numbers inversions. So we went from three to five in a few years. I don't suppose you guys would have any idea why we jumped from three to five like that. Well, it, it, you know, it started in 3 3.7, 3.16, 4.2, 4.11, 5.0, 5.13. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure who's who's responsible for the number. And I, I, I think that's Mr. Eichem. Um, but it, it's, it's, it's whatever normal culture they decide to, to implement. So um, I'm not exactly sure how they, they come up with the, the number in the way they do or, or why they do. Um, but, but that's, that's what they've set up. And, and it may, it may have something to do with the fact that it corresponds with wine a little bit. Yes. Yes. Hmm. So, so that, that, that may be part of what, what, you know, what was coming and, and wine 6.0 is scheduled to be released sometime after the first of the year. So so it may be that the next release would be 6.0 um, and it may, it may kind of tie tie to that because if, if I were to look at Proton more closely, the number in 5.13 seems to be that maybe right now where we are with wine. 
or close to it where we are with wine. So that may be where the, where the numbering comes from. All right. That makes sense. Um, and, um, you know, we, we had some emails uh, a couple of, uh, I think, days ago regarding the uh, NTDLL work that's currently happening in wine. Uh, and I think you mentioned that uh, uh, it, it's a lot of, uh, you know, um, long-term work that will, uh, you know, make significant changes to uh, how, you know, you, you, you work with the kernel on, on the, I would say, compatibility layer. And mm -hmm. that will probably enable uh, to uh, to make some of the anti-cheat technologies, uh, you know, work at some point, uh, which you know they are not currently not being supported in the current Proton version. Um, yep. Just one question on this is: uh, Do you think that work will progressively trickle down into uh, into Wine and Proton, or that is something that needs to be completed at once before actually you can see an actual improvement? I actually, actually, uh, the first part of the NTDLL work is already in wine. It's already been upstreamed. So All right. It, it's going to be kind of trickled in. Um, so what ends up happening is now you have a foundation and a base for that work. And then people start testing that work and determining corner cases, areas where things don't work properly. And they'll start addressing those and patching those. So it, it starts kind of with the, the initial pieces that, that Alexander Juilliard um, put into or upstreamed in wine. Um, they'll make their way into Proton um, and then and then they'll start building on top of that. So hopefully here in the next couple of releases, um, games that have been blocked on um, NTDLL will, will start to work. That doesn't guarantee that they'll all work on day one, but it's again, the foundation for that work going forward. Pretty really good news because um, you know uh, I think a lot of the compatibility issues now we've seen most of the more recent games definitely linked to the anti-cheat uh, uh, software. So uh, yeah, if there's a way around that, uh, that would be I think very much appreciated by the community. Mm -hmm. No, it's, yeah. it's 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 obviously something that we're very much aware of. Um, it's it's you have to kind of go about it the right way. Other otherwise, it looks like you're just hacking, which is is not what these games developers yeah. want. Happen with their games, so right. it's it's a process, but that process is moving forward, and it's it's actually um, with Alexander, uh, it's kind of spearheading that work. It's it's moving fairly quickly. I mean, he's probably the most uh, qualified individual on the planet to do this type right. of work. In so, I mean, yeah. he's by far the best resource in this regard. So, I mean, <laughs> capable hands. I was looking at the, the Git history. Like, he's been working on this particular, uh, I mean, topic for like several years, apparently. So yeah, it's it's uh, definitely uh, probably one of the experts in that field. So with this pandemic that's still raging on since February, I believe, mm -hmm. how, how are how are you guys dealing with this? How's how's the uh, if I may ask, how's the work situation going? Are people still going into an office or are they working remotely? That's a great question. Um, fortunately for Code Weavers, uh, we are a fairly dispersed company. Uh, most of our development teams located in Western Europe, um, Eastern Europe, Asia, and so most of our most of our developers um, already ha are already separated. So they're already working out of home offices. Uh, our our local team here in Minneapolis, and we have about uh, 25 employees. We've been uh, working from home. We normally go into an office on a regular basis, but I've been the, in the office once since I believe uh, the second week of March, and I'm usually in every single day. Um, so we have a, a skeleton crew inside the office, but our, our company was was built in order to kind of work in this this manner. So in terms of productivity, we haven't been hampered at all. By, by coronavirus, knock on wood. We have had a couple employees test positive for coronavirus, so we're not immune to it. Um, and and when that happens, we've had we've had people that have had to take some time off accordingly, and, and rightly so. But but for the most part, we've been um, able to weather the storm pretty well, uh, and and I think we're we're going to be in good shape here going forward. Um, so I don't, I don't, I don't anticipate any, any, any issues, and we haven't seen any real issues so far. Well, that's great to hear that uh, it hasn't been disrupting uh, at least your flow of operations and your progress. Um, I think it was also one of the potential worries, uh, you know, of, of having some um, some time between uh, major proton releases, like maybe this is due to the pandemic or something. But yeah, it's glad to see it's not the case. 
Yeah, it's it's it, it hasn't been that that the releases been slowed by 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 coronavirus. It's um, it's more again getting back to the fact that the work that that is going into each release and and the reason that each release is getting better and better is that it's just harder work. So it's it's taking more and more resources to make um, significant improvement. And currently, I believe we have. 12 or 13 developers working on Proton full-time. So we, we have a full staff of employees that are, are dedicated just to Proton work. And then we have uh, about 1.5 QA people that are doing testing uh, on a regular basis. So we're, we're, we're very much engaged with that. And we have been ramping up resources over the last year. So we've gone from about eight, 10 to now 13 employees. So we're, we're putting more effort into each release. It's just that the work required is, is a lot more, right? Yeah, so yeah. you have basically diminishing returns, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I understand. Um, one thing, a uh, quick point I wanted to address as well. Uh, we, we actually we looked at the data recently regarding um, the number of, of native ports uh, coming to Linux uh, in the past uh, couple of years uh, versus, I would say, the, the timing uh, when Proton was introduced. And we noticed that there was, there was a sharp decrease of uh, native uh, Linux ports uh, from, uh, I would say, developers in general uh, on Steam. Uh, and I don't think it's a surprise. Like everybody was aware of this, but I think when we look at the numbers, it's actually very, very clear. It's, it's been going down drastically uh, since Proton released. And uh, I was wondering, uh, I mean, from your point of view, um, uh, do you think this is uh, intentional from game developers? Is it like they're, uh, they are, you know, they are aware of Steamplay slash Proton and therefore they don't think there is a need to, to produce a kind of native client anymore? Or do you think it's just like there's, there's uh, less focus on Linux than before? Well, I, I think there's there's a couple couple elements here. Now, first first and foremost, you probably have to ask the actual game developers um, to, to, to confirm, you know, what, what you know, their intentions are and why they've kind of acted in the manner they have. Um, we, we, we can see kind of from a, from a high level view that um, there is a lot of interest on behalf of game developers in regards to Proton. So part of what Proton provides is it allows game developers kind of easy access or easier access into the Linux market. You take your already working Windows version of a game and you, you know, you get that set up so that it works in Proton, and now you've kind of expanded into a second market without a lot of redevelopment on their end. Um, now, for people that aren't using the Unreal Engine, that's actually really good news. Um, that allows them to get to market much faster um, without having to recompile or, or really change anything about, about their game. And it allows them to kind of focus their resources on, on the game itself, because um, we do see a lot of additional content uh, with games these days, so there there is this 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 focal point where um, people are looking at Proton as kind of an entry point into the Linux market. So that's that's the first piece. The second piece is is that you know from a business standpoint, and and this is someone who you know we're we're selling into the Linux market ourselves directly with our with our crossover product. You know the Linux market is is kind of being you know, you know bifurcated a little bit in that. You know, we're seeing a lot of interest in, in Google and what Google's doing with Chromebooks. We're seeing a lot of interest with Manjaro as, a, as an up-and-coming Linux distro. We're seeing a lot of, you know, um, Ubuntu. There, there's still kind of a, a, a fragmentation of the, the Linux market. So, I, you know, if I'm a software developer um, and I'm, I'm trying to create the best game I can possibly create, it's really hard to kind of capture the Linux market. In, in, in a big swath, um, whereas Proton, you know, it allows uh, a Windows developer the opportunity to kind of, you know, capture a larger chunk or the gaming chunk of, of Linux. So it sets a standard that you can kind of build towards that then the, the end users on the other end have to be able to support. So there's, there's kind of a set of standards in place that, that make being in that market easier and also make sure that the support that you're able to provide is more more streamlined than, than it would be if you kind of supported the entire Linux market. So there's there's a lot of benefits um, into if you're a Windows developer into porting to, to Proton. But you know in terms of you know what we're going to see in the future, 
you know, I, I don't know uh, how the, the Linux market is going to grow in terms of people developing natively in Linux. And, and again, I, I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, what, what target do you try to hit? I mean, what, what market do you try to try to go for? Where, where's the biggest bang for the buck? And if I look across the Linux landscape, it, it, you know, it's difficult to kind of pinpoint um, where, where, the, where the best opportunities are outside of, you know, Chrome OS, which is growing leaps and bounds or outside of potentially Proton. So um, I think, you know, the businesses or the, the business aspect of it is that it's kind of driving towards the best opportunities for revenue. And, and to be very honest, and, and I know people kind of cringe when I say things like this, but if you're not making money, you're not producing games. And if you're not producing games, then there is no content at all for anybody. So uh, the underlying, um, the underlying, you know, ability to generate revenue is, is critical. And I know Linux gamers feel like they're second-class citizens because people don't develop games you know, the same way they do in the Windows platform. But that's all economics. I mean, the fact is that yeah, you know, yeah. Microsoft owns you know 90% of the market. Yeah, and, uh, so I think it's, it's definitely. Uh, uh, I mean, you can explain the fact that Proton uh, has been a success, as in it, it's a, a more economic way to bring games to Linux, basically. But, but it's also a set of standards. I and mean, I think people kind of overlook that. It's, it's a set of standards. If your game works in Proton, then, then you've got it running in Proton and then the end users have to comply with, with, with working Proton. So if your end user has Proton running on their Linux box and you've got a game that's running in Proton, then that end user is able to run that game. Whereas if you've got Arc Linux or Manjaro or Ubuntu, now all of a sudden you're trying to support a much broader and much more fragmented Linux base of hardware yeah. and software, that's mm -hmm. almost impossible to do with any consistency. And because it's already a very small market to begin with, yeah, yeah. now try to get a portion of a small market or what is the largest portion of the smallest market, that, that's, that's not, it, it's, it's not necessarily a good use of resources for Windows developers because they're, they're, what they're trying to do is they're trying to get the, the, the game out there into the most hands they possibly can. And right now, that, that seems to be Proton. Yeah, and right. I'd say that uh, another contribution there for n native Linux ports is those libraries that are used, <clears throat> excuse me, those libraries that are used can get outdated over a number of years, and then suddenly the game doesn't work on Linux anymore. You know, we had a yeah. uh, we had a pretty interesting discussion about this a couple weeks ago. We had a uh, we were having the same discussion over on Boiling Steam, and so uh, it's just pretty nice to get a, another perspective on this situation. Well, and, and hopefully what this does in the long run, if you look at the long game, is that once there's a set of standards in order for games and to operate in the Linux platform, then you've got an opportunity for Windows developers to build to that standard, whether it's Proton or not. So. One, I know that the market's valid because I'm seeing growth in the market. Two, I have a set of standards that I can build towards and I can then, I can then um, support. And now I've got a market that I can, I can basically go after. And once you've got all those elements set up, whether it's Proton or whether it's, it's using those same standards, you, you've now kind of got your, your, your market defined. And once you've got your market defined, it's a little easier to, to you know, determine whether or not it's even viable to enter that market. But if it is, then you're going to see more and more more Windows developers building native Linux games. Right. On this topic, um, you know, you mentioned that the game developers, are, you know, probably make their own choices and so on. Um, I wanted to ask you whether uh, you think there's a higher awareness about about Steam Play slash Proton uh, than before. Uh, uh, I mean, maybe. Uh, Valve has been active in promoting Proton, I guess, on their side as well. Uh, but, but from your side, do, do you have any feedback that, that game developers uh, at least are, are aware of this solution uh, in larger numbers than before? We are. Um, and we do know that game developers have taken specific notice of, of Proton. So I think I can send you a couple of links that you can take a look at that Mr. Eichelman kind of pulled aside. Just going to pull them up quick. Yeah, I got it couple links here. I'll, I'll post them here um, and you can take a look at that. But yeah, we're, we're seeing interest broadly in 
from from developers. Now it's 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 not in droves yet, but um, mm -hmm. a lot of indie developers are taking notice of Proton. Uh, a lot of even even larger uh, Windows developers are, are kind of taking notice of Proton. Again, it's it's an entry point into a, a market that is very low cost, but yet also kind of gives them the best opportunity for success. So that that's you know, will we see more games? Um, in the future, I'm, I'm sure we will. But what it'll also do likely is get developers to start testing against Proton throughout their development process. So hopefully at some point in time, there's a lot less interaction by code mm -hmm. weavers in order for games to work. Games just work in Proton. Right. And a lot of what we're doing is building that foundation so that that, that, um, that framework is, is readily available for them on day one. Now, we've had a couple games launch day one yeah. in Proton and, and have been very successful, have worked very well. Um, hopefully, that increases. And, and once you start seeing that increase, then you'll know that we've reached that tipping point where Windows developers are like, yeah, if I'm going to go into Linux, I'm using Proton. I mean, because mm -hmm. you'll see A1, you'll see you'll see their game announced for Windows or Mac and available on Steam and, oh, it works in Proton. I mean, you'll see them advertising and marketing that. We haven't seen that tipping point yet, but I bet you within the next 12 months we will. Yeah, so right now, when when there is Proton compatibility, it typically is, you know, end users trying it out by themselves and finding out that the game actually works. Uh, there's also, of course, like the, the whitelisting, uh, I think that Valve uh, kind of maintains over time. Uh, I'm not sure how actively they, they are still doing that at this stage. Uh, but but I think there's a lot of games that actually work uh, out of the box that are kind of, you know, um, I mean, you would not be aware that they're working out of the box unless you, you try to launch the game with Proton, basically. So is that something that uh, that Val or Code Reverse is doing to uh, to make this uh, more visible to the end users in the future? It, it hasn't been anything we've, we've done today. Um, I do know that, that Valve has, has really promoted Proton in that regard uh, for, for Windows developers. What we hear is a lot of anecdotal kind of stories about developers who just thought they tried Proton to see if it worked with their games and they were surprised that it did. Um, we've heard, again, a couple stories now of late of people making sure that their game could work with Proton on day one. Um, so, you know, we're, we're starting to hear more of those stories, but but in terms of, of kind of a, a constant drumbeat of, you know, mm -hmm. Proton, 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 we're not, we're not hearing that yet. All right. But, but I, I think, you know, if Proton continues to grow, if the market continues to grow, if interest continues to grow, you'll, you'll start to see more of that. And again, the, the tipping point is when, when game developers build for Proton on day one. I mean, when, when they market that in their in, in kind of their, their synopsis of their game, then, right. then you'll know, okay, yeah, we've, we've reached that point where, where Proton has now kind of become the platform as opposed right. to Linux being the I mean, platform and Proton yeah. running it. Yeah, it makes total sense. Yeah, that's good to hear. All right, so Code Weavers recently announced Port Jump. Now, for those yep. who aren't aware, do you mind explaining what exactly Port Jump is? Port Jump is is kind of using Wine in order to take your Windows application or game and, and having it run on on Mac OS or Linux. So we uh, essentially port your your application or game um, to another platform. And, and kind of the hook with, with um, port jump is, uh, you know, if, if this works the way it should work, um, the question is, where do you want us to send your check? I mean, because there's just an opportunity to enter, you know, more markets using the same software. You're expanding and leveraging your, 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 your investment. And, and we're able to help you do that at hopefully um, a very, very small cost. So, you know, we, we, we've kind of formalized that because we've ported probably well over 300 applications and games just individually on itself, all the work that we've done in Proton aside. Um, so we were working with, you know, um, Windows developers around the world currently and in, in supporting their, their games and applications. And we wanted to more formalize that process so that, that more and more Windows developers um, could get into both the Linux and the Mac OS markets. Now, the way things are going with Apple, um, and, and some of the changes they have going on in the future. Um, the Linux market may, may become you know, incredibly attractive 
for for a larger number of Windows developers just to get you know their, their foothold into that platform. And, and the same is true for Chrome OS. Um, we we kind of just announced with crossover twenty um, support for uh, the Linux uh, the Linux partition in Chrome OS. So we're 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 doing that work too. So we're able to to support that as well. So for on um, the topic of Chrome OS, uh, so as you mentioned earlier, I think it's, it's definitely growing in terms of use and uh, popularity, um, especially uh, I think among students and schools, for example. And um, I think the question is, 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 is any kind of gaming actually happening on, on this kind of, of Chrome OS machines? Or are you saying it's a market to, to not to expand in the future, but it doesn't really exist yet? It, it's a market that doesn't really exist yet. It's very limited by the hardware itself. So you take a Chromebook that's got a 32 gig hard drive and hmm. you have to ask yourself how many games can you actually run on, on a partition running inside a 32 gig hard drive. So it, it's kind of limited in a number of ways that are that are kind of hamstrung. Same is true for video card. Um, you, know, you get a very basic Intel video card with most of the Chromebooks. So you, you, you've got you know limited hardware, limited storage, um, and and the ability to maybe run one or two games um, at best. So, in terms of is it the next great platform for gaming? Probably not. But where the niche becomes is if you have one or two games that you really want to play, it may be an opportunity to kind of take that and make those games more mobile. So you can put it on your Chromebook and, and take it with you wherever you go in the world. The same is true for, for Windows applications. We know a lot of people that want to run Quicken and other Windows applications yeah. on the Chromebook. And, and this is a, a good opportunity to do that. Um, but in terms of, you know, having your entire Steam library on your Chrome Chromebook, no, mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's never going to happen. Um, you know, and, and, but, but, the, but the interesting thing is, is we kind of read between the lines as to what's really going on out there. And you're hearing a lot more people talk about running Windows on Chromebooks. Well, you, know, you need 20 gigabytes of space just to run Windows in and of mm -hmm. itself. No matter how you do it, that's just kind of the bare minimum, bare bones. And and mm -hmm. so what what I think we're going to see is you're going to see Chromebooks get kind of that. They're 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 going to get um, improvements and probably significant improvements. So it probably won't be all that long before we see Chromebooks with. 100 gig hard drives or Chromebooks that are running, you know, maybe an NVIDIA low-end graphics card, but in, but an NVIDIA card, you're going to start seeing more of these things as those specs kind of start creeping into these Chromebooks. And it's mm -hmm. going to be because the Chromebook is then going to, you know, be kind of that platform of choice. It's going to be that, you know, that, that, uh, that device you take with you when you're on the go versus a, a regular laptop. Now, the trade-off with that is, is the Chromebook was built its reputation on the very longest battery life. Well, if you're running yeah. like, mm. any game at all at a high-end level, you're going to suck the battery life right out of that. So the, the trade-off is, is I think you're seeing the Chromebooks kind of morph into more of a Linux laptop versus being kind of a lightweight Chromebook tablet-ish type of devices they've been up until now. And I think we'll continue to see that that transition because, you know, all the latest improvements in Chrome OS have really been around the, the devices themselves. Um, mm -hmm. Not seeing a lot of tablet-type talk anymore. Um, <laughs> even Google's kind of pulled some of their tablet stuff off because it's just not compelling for most mm -hmm. users. So, you know, I think you're going to see kind of more and more capable laptops come out of Google. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if we're not all that far away from Google announcing their first Chrome laptop um, yeah. officially announcing the first yeah. Chrome laptop. I mean, they've had a couple out on their own that have been their specs have been kind of um, well, well above the rest of the market. And they've been kind of pulling the market more towards that end. So a $1,000 or $1,500 Chromebook is probably not out of the realm of possibilities here in the next next 6 to 12 months. Well, what about <laughs> things like Google Stadia or Amazon Luna? What would you say about that for Chromebooks? I think that would be a pretty good way for users to play games on Chromebooks. Well, it, it is, and I and I and I subscribed to Stadia for for well over a year. Well, I've subscribed. I just turned off my subscription this month. I I didn't find Stadia to be very compelling because even in my house, trying to run games, I was getting 
Wi-Fi issues. So I literally am 15 yards from my Wi-Fi port in my house. So I'm, I'm fairly close to where my Wi-Fi is coming in. And I, w- I was running into issues running a lot of games. Um, I was on the road. I wasn't getting a lot of, of games. And this is Stadia running on my, my Chromebook, which is fairly, fairly um, significant hardware specs on my Acer. So I wasn't having a lot of success. Um, and I and I think if if I'm reading the the forums correctly, a lot of people are kind of in that same same kind of boat. It's 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 good in the times that it runs, it runs well, and it's and, and it's it's great. But it's hard to get into games, uh, especially multiplayer games. It's hard to it's hard to, to to play games in terms of connectivity, and and the streaming isn't always great. So there's sometimes a lot of lag, even when you're in the game and, and you're able to actually play, um, you, you kind of, you, you experience lag. So I, I know that the, the Stadia people are working on that. I mean, I'm sure that's priority number one for them is to continue to prove quality of service, but it's, it's, it's a very difficult task. And, and I'm not sure how Amazon's going to overcome a lot of those things because I think you're still mm-hmm. limited by, 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 the, by the endpoint Wi-Fi. And if the endpoint Wi-Fi isn't great, or it doesn't have the ability to stream at, at such a, a gigabit speeds, I, I think the quality suffers. And and um, well, you know, I don't know what the percentage is these days of people who have internet Broadband. in their homes. Yeah, hmm. I, I don't think I don't think the majority of those people have gigabit internet in their homes. Mm-hmm. So if you're if you're limited by the internet, if you're limited by your hardware, um, yeah, then 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 you know the streaming services just don't don't feel, um, they don't feel good. They, they, uh, they, you just don't feel that, that, uh, that same joy you do when you have things, uh, running on your, on your, on your box locally. I guess, I guess like Sadia is also, uh, a play to, uh, towards like technologies like 5G where, uh, this will definitely expand the reach of, uh, like, you know, very, uh, I would say high speed internet to, to a lot of people who don't have physical access to this kind of internet right now. Um, so uh, I'm not sure whether that's going to be the case or not, but I think that maybe uh, where where they can expand uh, as the technology on, on 5G and, and so on uh, evolves. And, and, and that may be very true. I mean, Google is in the position where they can make a significant investment before the market is even there. So, I mean, having all the pieces in place for Stadia today for uh, a world that may have 5G in the next two to three years um, across the board, that, that may make a lot of sense for them. Right. It, it's just, it's just in this time right now um, mm-hmm. when you're a gamer, it you know it, it just hasn't been a I don't think across the board satisfying experience, um, which which I think still kind of drives people to wanting to get the game to work on their device. Right, uh, I think on on the matter on the topic of Stadia and Amazon also doing their own <coughs> streaming services. Uh, we've heard for a while now that that Valve is is probably also working on their own kind of streaming services, and while they, I don't think they have announced anything officially yet. And there, there's a a lot of uh, I think supposition in, in terms of how this kind of uh, service would actually work. And uh, of course, uh, you know, people are thinking maybe Proton is is one part of those. I mean, the, the core of this kind of service because um, that would make sense to be able to, to run and stream a lot of Windows games, uh, even though you, you would not actually have Windows servers uh, running in the background. Um, I'm pretty sure, like, if this is happening, you probably can't tell us anything about that. But uh, do you think that's in the realm of possibilities, at least? Uh, on the, uh, I would say, um, considering the way Proton is, uh, is architectured? I, I don't know about you know, in the way of way Proton is architectured, I know that that Valve was looking at streaming services from the standpoint of kind of in-home streaming service. So you'd use Big Picture, I think, right. as a feature for developing, where you could you know start playing games, you know, on on potentially maybe your large screen television sets and, and other things. So you'd run it from you know your box inside your house, your Windows box, your Linux box, and then stream it to to uh, another screen inside the house. But you know, I, I don't know how all that would work. Um, but I know that the the big picture was was one of the things that they were really trying to push a couple of years back. So I, it's obviously on their mind and their their thought. And you know, in a lot of ways, that makes some sense because people have these seventy inch large screen television sets in their homes, 
and there's an opportunity to do gaming off those large monitor, you know, essentially monitors. You know that 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 could be interesting. Um, it's especially social because you can get five or six people around a large television set where you can't do that around a monitor as easily, um, and you can have people playing and, and engaging. But uh, again, we we haven't heard anything from Valve on that officially, so we we know about as much about that as you do in that regard. Got it. Yeah, it makes sense. On the topic of Chrome OS, I think you mentioned that you know Chrome OS is uh, you know sharing the same architecture as uh, typically what we see for for laptops. You know, it's uh, Intel uh, x86 uh, architecture. There's also uh, Chromebooks that are based on ARM, and uh, and they also run Linux. Uh, I mean, some version of Linux at least. Mm -hmm. uh, and would would uh, Proton slash Wine uh, work also uh, on this kind of uh, ARM based hardware, or is that something that is currently I would say out of scope? Uh, you know, for for PodJump and these kind of initiatives. It's it's currently out of scope. It's it's not working on ARM yet. Now we should have a solution when MacBooks release ARM uh, based devices here um, in the next three to three months, six months. Um, I haven't heard anything officially yet when they're going to announce, but um, when they when they release. Um, but that's because the you know there's going to be technology in there, a Rosetta, uh, that which will allow us to essentially layer on top of the yes. ARM device. So mm -hmm. that that's a bit different. Now, if that same type of technology were available in a you know, Linux device or a Chromebook that runs Linux, then then yes, Proton could potentially work in that environment. But the the real um, the, the the real juice with with the, the MacBooks is that it's got that technology, so it's already kind of thinking ahead to running Intel x86 on top of ARM, and and that's what they're kind of building out for. Whereas these other devices are strictly ARM only. So if it's ARM only, um, it, it's not going to run crossover. It's not going to run likely run Proton at all, to the best of my knowledge. All right, all right, makes sense. Going back to poor jump, so we have the standard and the pro edition. Can you explain to us what exactly the difference is between those two versions? I'm not sure. That might be that might be a, that might be actually a better job for our, our marketing people than than me. I, I, I actually actually the 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 biggest difference is that um, between the two, and and this is the one where you know we 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 kind of stress these things up front with the customers that. For a customer who's like, hey, can my software just work uh, uh, for Linux, for example? Um, we have a, a kind of a, a program that we can put the software through. We take a little bit of time, 10 hours, and, and we can answer that question, yes or no. Uh, and that's a standard product. So we, we determine if the product can be ported. Um, we kind of provide kind of an outline of, uh, of, of a quote as to what it'll cost. Um, we'll look at any you know, licensing issues that they might have. Um, so do you have any third-party components inside your Windows technology that cannot easily or readily be ported? Um, or, or specifically saying that you, you cannot port us. Um, so we track all those things down. And then we answer that question. And then with the pro version, we spend more development time. And then we also provide them with a proof of concept. So we give them a, a, you know, the software running in, in, in our technology so that they can actually try it on a Mac or a Linux computer. And those are those are really the two different things. So it's it's kind of built around around that. So uh, because we get a lot of indie developers that'll come to us and say, "Hey, look, we're considering this. Do you think it's going to work?" And um, they they want to be able to answer that question the least uh, at the least cost, and and we're right. able to do that. And then we have other other developers that are like, "Well, we need to actually see it working in right. order to determine if this is going to be some some path that we're going to go down." And and we're happy to do that as well. So. Yeah, I think one of the great innovation from uh, from PodJump, at least from how I understand it, that you have a flat fee uh, uh, like principle, so that you know exactly how much it's going to cost ahead of time. So uh, it reduces, I think, the, the friction for for somebody to actually uh, request such services if they know exactly upfront how much it's going to cost. Yeah, and, and and that's really one of the things that we're trying to stress to people is that um, you know we oftentimes put a lot more work and effort into these these projects than than kind of what the time is 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 dictated at. So we, we essentially we're, we're we're technologists. I mean, we want to see if something's going to work, and and really, it's in our best interest to get something to work in the Mac or Linux platform. That's how we make money. So. 
um, you know, we, we put a lot of effort into the project, uh, the port jump, just to see if it's if it's even possible. And and, and ideally it is. And if it is, then we, we help the developer um, kind of get to that platform so that they can they can generate additional revenue. So in that in that way, our interests are very much aligned is that we both want to see the product working on, on other platforms. It's just it, it just takes a little bit of time and effort up front to kind of make that determination. Right. Uh, on the subject of Podjump, I mean, you also had another announcement around the same timing as Podjump with the exec mode. Uh, can you uh, give us a bit more uh, information about what this is and how different this is from from Podjump? Well, it, exec mode is um, we have a lot of really, really smart people on our staff um, and guys that are well-versed in everything from, from you know, the underlying technology inside of web browsers. We have guys that have been working with Mozilla in the past. We we do a lot of work with with graphics and graphics development. We've had guys on, on kind of the forefront of Vulcan and and other technologies. We we've, we've got all these people that are engaged in, in uh, wine and open source projects and open source technology that that we really thought it might be best to try to help leverage um, that kind of expertise for for companies that are having other technology issues of their own. Um, so. You know, exec mode was kind of built to to take really smart people and throw them at really really hard problems that that enterprise and businesses around the world were having and trying to come up with solutions that made sense for them. So we we've really focused um, on trying to formalize what that might look like and and that that spans everything from Linux specific issues. We have guys that can do kernel work on Linux um, to dealing again with some of the graphics engine stuff, which is is, is really kind of a, an up and coming and exploding um, aspect in environment and, and technology these days to to doing about about anything you, you, you can imagine that involves involves technology. So um, it's it's really leveraging our staff to to kind of a greater Better set of problems than than just the wine problems or just the open source problems that we're currently working on today. So we wanted to let people know that that we're able to able and willing to do those things. And, and we've done a lot of Linux work in the past um, outside of wine. We've done a lot of work in, in for customers on their own um, issues um, and integrating product. We do a lot of that. So we, we really wanted to kind of expand that. And, and now we have the resources in order to do that. We, you know, we, we, we've been kind of running for a long time at you know, 15, 16 developers, and I think we have close to 30 developers. So we've, we've grown significantly these last couple of years, and, and let's, we're trying to take that, those resources and, and um, apply them to more problems, bigger problems. And, and honestly, our, our staff loves challenges. They love really, really difficult problems. Mm -hmm. and, this is a great opportunity for them to to address a lot of those problems for customers and, and help customers get through some of those issues on their end. Wow, that's fascinating. So Valve is one of the clients of Exec Mode. Is that related to Proton, or, or can you relate to us what that exactly encompasses? It, it's it's Valve is a unique animal in, in so many so many ways. Um, <laughs> You know, we wouldn't we wouldn't necessarily call them um, an exec mode client because um, a lot of the work that we're doing in Proton is wine work. So I mean, it really is kind of traditionally in our wheelhouse as to what we're good at. Um, right. But it, it it's kind of spanned into a lot of other areas. So it's not just wine work. It's 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 graphics work. It's 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 a handful of other things. But but the core of what we're doing for Valve is 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 based in, in around wine. But we do have clients um, where the core of what we're doing is based in and around Linux. And um, we do a lot of work with Linux and Linux security. We do a lot of work with um, just kind of different uh, companies regarding uh, graphic support. Um, and those things are, are kind of more towards what exec mode is, is, is really about, is, is taking other hard problems, technology, software-related hard problems, and, and working to, to kind of fix those problems. But, but, but Valve is probably more in our wheelhouse as to, to what, we, what we've been able to do for the last 25 years um, compared to a lot of other, other customers. I will say this about Valve though, if, if you talk about a sweet spot, um, our developers are gamers. They love games, mm -hmm. kind of like your customers, your, your, your listeners are, are, are gamers. So building games to run in Linux, I mean, that, that's what our, our developers <laughs> have wanted to do forever. 
So th this opportunity to actually make games work in Linux is, is such um, a satisfying project for them because they're getting to do what they love. They're getting to, to kind of port things that they love and they're getting to support a platform they love. So they're all Linux users. They're all gamers and making more games work in Linux is just a dream come true. So we definitely thank Val for, for kind of the opportunity to, to work on that project. Excellent. So I guess, yeah, the, the future for, for Linux gaming, I think, is, is looking better and better uh, thanks to the, the work that Valve and Cold Rivers do in parallel uh, in order to improve uh, the access to a number of games over time. Just uh, maybe slightly outside the topic of Linux only, but like, uh, what do you think of the, the recent Mac announcement and in which direction they're going and what does, what does it mean for Code Rivers? Uh, I mean, um, I think you, met, you alluded to it earlier, uh, you know, as to their, you know, the moving to ARM and you're planning to support them. But do you think the, the, the gaming, I would say the gaming population on, on Mac is, is kind of on the decrease or it's going to rebound because of the ARM announcement? That's a really, really good question. I try to look at what Apple is doing objectively. I, I see a lot of concerns for gamers in the direction things are going. Pushing for 64-bit support as they did in Catalina was kind of the first step. It, it, it limited a lot of older games right off the bat. So older libraries of games really aren't able to move forward readily inside the, the new Apple OS environment, the Mac OS environment. So you're already losing a, a large number of games on Mac OS. And then when you start looking at ARM processors and ARM support, now we will be able to run on, on Apple ARM, Apple Silicon, because, because we'll, we'll, because of Rosetta. But, you know, Rosetta, Rosetta 2 is, is, is the second iteration of the technology that Apple had abandoned after a couple of years. So, you know, we, we have concerns too that, that you know, how long, how readily available is Rosetta going to be? Is it is it is it long term? Um, is it short term? Is is it a, is a long term play? And and all those things impact not only us but they impact gamers. So if you're looking at making a significant investment in your hardware, you want to be able to leverage that investment for as long as you can. So you want to say, well, geez, if I buy myself a five thousand dollar laptop, I want to be able to use that laptop for the next three to five years, maybe even longer. Well. With what's going on with Apple, I, you, you have to ask the question, is that even going to be possible? Am I going to be able to play the games I want to play? And while their Apple, um, you know, the iTunes store is, is filled with, with games, you know, you, you look at a lot of the first-person shooters, you look at a lot of the games that, that people really love, um, you look at the older games that, that man, some of them even have been you know, discontinued or no longer supported, you have to wonder if there's a place for that in the future. And, you know, as a gamer myself, you know, it'd be, it'd be very difficult for me to to kind of move in that direction. And I'm sure a lot of other people feel the same way. Like it's, you know, it's incredible for running new things, but is it going to support games? Is it going to support the things that I love, you know, things from my youth? I don't know. I mean, I'm, and I'm an Apple IIc guy. I had an Apple IIc back in 1988. <laughs> um, I've used Apple my whole life. Um, I played Lemonade Stand and Oregon Trail. Uh, <laughs> floppy disk. I played Ultima 4 until I burned through disk after disk after disk. So I'm, I mean, I am, I am as um, old school as, as, as you can get on, on Apple. I just don't know if there's a future for gamers going forward. And, and, and hopefully Apple will address that. And I, I think part of the way they address that is they actually lay out a plan and a path for people to say, listen, you're going to make an investment in our hardware. You're going to be able to play these games. These are the changes that we're anticipating in the next three to five years. Now you get to make the decision is, is this, this is something you want to do. We haven't heard that yet, so it's hard to understand whether or not, you know, what, what, you know, what, what is actually going to happen to gamers in, in each iteration of macOS going forward. Yep, very, very fair answer. I think we're reaching uh, the end uh, of the time uh, with you today. Um, but uh, one last question would be like, do you have any any particular message you'd like to share with uh, with Linux gamers in general, uh, you know, on the states of uh, the work you're doing or anything else in general before we close? Absolutely. Um, you know, CodeWeavers loves Linux gamers. And I, I know that, that sometimes CodeWeaver seems like we're at odds. With, with Linux gamers, because I know a lot of Linux gamers want to see more and more games brought to the Linux platform natively. 
and porting applications, porting software, porting games, kind of, um, it, it, you know, it kind of goes against native. Um, but, but the message that I would, would really like to send out is that if we can continue to build out this market, more and more developers will take the market seriously and they'll continue to build games and, and applications uh, natively for Linux. But in order to do that, you know, it's, it's got to be, you know, it's got to be viable. It's got to have standards, and and hopefully what we're doing is 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 showing developers that it is viable, and we're helping create standards so that more and more games and applications can run natively on the Linux platform across the board, not just for a specific distro, but for all distros. So we we hope that that people realize that that we're really strong, 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 strong advocates for for Linux and all things Linux, and and doing what we do, hopefully. Um, you know, creates joy for Linux users today, but also kind of makes this a viable platform, a more viable platform for Linux users in the future. And, and in doing so, hopefully, they'll get the respect and love from Windows, from from software developers that they deserve. Thank you very much. I think, I think very good closing comment. I mean, from our side, we we always uh, been very supportive of the work you've been doing uh, over the years. Uh, we always mm -hmm. thought that uh, Proton was. Uh, Oh, it's a magnificent idea uh, to to build upon what was done before in Linux, and that it's it's a great way to uh, to jumpstart. Uh, I think what's been done in the native uh, native clients area, and, and to make sure like you know we can build upon that and go to uh, to bring more games to Linux gamers uh, in faster fashion as well. So um, yeah, I think we we'd like to say thank you again for all the work you do, uh, and uh, we definitely looking forward to hearing more from you and Valve in the future. And uh, hopefully we have a good chance to uh, to talk to you again uh, when there's something significant happening. Absolutely, we're big fans of Boil and Steam and and uh, kind of the, the the work that you're doing to advocate for uh, gaming on the Linux platform. Again, we're we're big fans and and we do we do uh, we do uh, take part and we're on your your website quite a bit. So uh, thank you, thank you for Thanks this a opportunity. Lot. Thank you. All right, that will wrap up today's podcast. Thank you very much for listening. And we would like to thank James for taking the time out of his busy life to sit down and have a chat with us. Again, just a reminder, we are available on Patreon at patreon.com slash boiling underscore steam underscore Linux and LibraPay at liberapay.com slash boiling steam. Thank you again and have yourself a great day. Thank you.